Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 354th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. Broadcasting in this eighth year across the world, back in our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where the weather is hot. As you probably know, there are fires burning above us, below us, beside us, everywhere. It's um, The whole state seems to be on fire, but a bit, a bit smoky, but it is very hot. Last week, we broadcast the show from New York where we were raising capital for a client. Very successfully, I might add. We had a great week, met with some terrific fund managers and uh, all in all, it turned out extremely well. Now, one of the most common things that comes up when you start talking about music is who wrote the songs in the Beatles? Who wrote the best songs, John or Paul? You know, Ringo and George don't come up very often, but they also wrote songs. And since John's no longer here to make comment on this, Paul seems to have been quietly claiming over the past few years that he wrote a number of songs that were previously accredited to John. Just a little bit of revisionist history, or then maybe it might be true. Well, Harvard, Harvard researcher Mick Mark Glickman who's a senior lecturer in statistics, along with a guy named Jason Brown, a professor of mathematics at Dalhousie University, they've used data and algorithms to determine whether John Lennon or Paul McCartney wrote some of the Beatles' most memorable songs between 1962 and 1966. They analyse the songs into data sets and they attribute qualities to John Lennon or Paul McCartney. For example, McCartney has claimed he wrote In My Life. However, according to the um, analysts, the probability the song was written by McCartney is less than 1%, which means it's highly likely, 99%, a Lennon song. Now, Glickman and Brown have settled one of the most eternal arguments of pop music. Who wrote the best songs? The difference is that they have used science and not just their ear for music. Now, the process, for those of us who are non-technical music lovers, is a lot more mundane than anything that Lennon-McCartney worked on. The... uh, Analysts came up with a five-stage method of decomposing each Beatles song from 1962 to 1966 and converting the songs into sets of different data structures. So compare this with decomposing a colour into its constituent components of red, green and blue and attributing different weights to each of those colours. 
Well, it's the same as that, except that their method divides songs into a total of 149 constituent components. So they look at every song and segment it into 149 constituent components. And these data sets include frequencies of commonly played chords, notes sung by the lead singer, what chords followed each other, um, consecutive melodic note pairs, and whether melodic sequences were ups and downs or stays the same. For example, if you look at the Lennon song, Help, it begins with, when I was younger, so much younger than today. Pretty good, huh? And the pitch doesn't change very much. It stays at pretty much the same note repeatedly and only changes in short steps. By comparison, if you look at McCartney's Michelle, it begins, Michelle, ma belle, sont les mons qui vont très bien en son, très bien en son. So in terms of pitch, it's all over the place. And when I sing it, it's all over the place even more. So if you take In My Life from the 1965 album Rubber Soul, and this song's rated number 23 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. Now, while it's listed as a Lennon-McCartney track, which infers that Lennon did most of the work, McCartney has really disputed that. But the analysis by the university professors suggests that Paul McCartney misremembers this song being put together. The patterns of music idioms in In My Life matches Lennon's writing style, not McCartney's. Now, at some stage after the team's finalised its models, it may release a fuller list of songs it decomposed and determine who to attribute the song to. And this technology can be extended to look at pop history and chart the flow of stylistic influence. That would be sensationally interesting. They're also using lyric content to fine-tune the probability predictions. They plan to automate the data collection process so that they can characterise musical composition styles of different musical artists. Now, they determined that McCartney's songs tend to be richer in musical detail, while the music that Lennon wrote over the 1966-67 period is arguably some of the best pop music of all time. And I agree, I reckon I can pick a, a Lennon song and they happen to be my favourites. You think about things like A Day in the Life, Strawberry Fields, I'm the Walrus and songs like that, they are incredible. Incidentally, I hope the Beatles don't try it. You know, there's lots and lots of bands that are reuniting but I hope the um, Beatles don't try to reunite like all these other veteran bands because I reckon if they reunited now, they'd only be half the band they used to be. <laughs> boom, boom. 
Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about 1.8 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds to read, and every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, and blockchain. Last Wednesday, my newsletter was about various universal basic income initiatives that are taking place around the world. The response was unbelievable. It was incredible. So in yesterday's newsletter, I included responses that I received from readers in the US, in Australia, in France, and in Canada. Again, yesterday and today, I've received an excellent response. It's really amazing how many people take the time to read it, write it, and give me their opinion. Incidentally, today I actually got and unsubscribe and I think we've picked up about 52 or 53 new subscriptions but one person their name escapes me said I want out of here so of course we took them off straight away now if you um, if you want to keep up with all the latest developments in business and technology to ensure that you're able to compete in this ever-competitive world, you've got to get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. It's really important, and you'll love it. Just go to bobpritchard.com, that's B-O-B-P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D.com, and enroll. And if you wish to unsubscribe at any time, just click unsubscribe on the newsletter, and you are out of there. Now, like most Industries, the healthcare industry is undergoing a profound transformation. Costs are skyrocketing, as you've probably noticed. Consumer demand for more accessible care is rapidly growing, and healthcare companies just can't keep up. And health organisations, therefore, are increasingly turning to tech companies to facilitate this transformation in care delivery and also, of course, to lower health expenditures. And the potential for tech-led digital health initiatives to help healthcare providers and insurers deliver safer, more efficient and cost-effective care is huge. For healthcare organisations of all types, the collection, analysis and application of patient data can minimise avoidable service use, improve health outcomes and promote patient independence which can help keep costs down. For their part, the big four tech companies, which are Alphabet, which is the parent of Google, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft, well, they see an opportunity to tap into this lucrative health market. I mean, you know, in America, we've got 260 million people. They all get sick. They all need health care. They don't all need to read books. They don't all need to eat Brussels sprouts. They don't all need anything, but they do need health care. And so these players are accelerating their efforts to reshape health care by developing and collaborating on new tools for consumers, medical fresh professionals, and insurers. Now, these services and solutions, they're creating opportunities for health systems and insurers. Tech companies' expertise in data management and 
unbelievable analysis um, ability, along with their significant compute power, can help support healthcare payers, health systems and consumers by providing a broader overview of how health is assessed and delivered and where it's delivered. And each of the big four tech companies, they're all vying for a piece of the huge healthcare market, are leaning on their specific field of expertise to develop tools and solutions for consumers, providers and payers. It's interesting because the four big guys are actually in quite different areas. Alphabet, Google, is focused on leveraging its dominance in data storage and analytics to become the leader in population health. Amazon is using experience as a distribution platform for medical supplies and they're developing their AI assistant Alexa as an in-home health concierge. Apple is actively turning its consumer products into patient health hubs. And Microsoft is focusing on cloud storage and analytics to tap into precision medicine. Health organisations can further tap into the opportunity that's presented by the tech's entry into healthcare by collaborating with these tech giants to realise cost savings and bolster their top lines. But understanding how each tech giant is approaching healthcare is crucial. There's also phenomenal opportunity for the four big guys, tech guys, to work together to prepare, provide seamless healthcare right across the board. Now, we've got um, another digital area that's rapidly changing is the digital revolution for banks, card networks and processes. They're bringing both opportunities and challenges. With new ways to pay, incumbent firms can take advantage of their brand recognition, although most of the banks suck, and their large customer bases to try to try and retain existing customers and attract new ones. And for consumers, the digital revolution is providing more choice and making life easier. Digital wallets are simplifying purchases, allowing people to pay online with just a username and a password and in store with just a swipe of their thumb. So digital growth is enabling payments to become faster, cheaper and more convenient. That benefits both the nindle, nindle, I'll start again. That benefits both the nimble startups and the legacy providers that invest in innovation. So power is shifting to companies that control the customer experience, such as Amazon. As the selling power of physical shop fronts shifts to digital devices, the companies that control these apps and platforms are increasingly capturing traditional payment providers' territory. Amazon is a monster that just cannot be stopped. Now, widespread investments in blockchain technology over the last 18 months, they're beginning to result in new services, and these are coming on the market pretty quickly, and they're squeezing margins for the traditional payment providers, and they're totally transparent, and the m margins are almost zero. Now, speaking of crypto, my guest today is Kent Christensen, 
who is the CEO and founder of Messenger Bank, which I believe is the first cryptocurrency that is actually backed by a bank. Now, I'm going to be back with Kent live from Ireland after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, being broadcast across the world this week from the technology and entertainment hub of the world, Los Angeles, California. Now, this is the second interview from Ireland in two weeks. The entrepreneur scene in Ireland is really heating up. I'll be back with Kent in a moment. He's a great guy, and uh, it's a really interesting interview. So I'll be back in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And welcome to the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs from all over the world. We also talk to other specialists, people that play a role in solving the issues faced by entrepreneurs along their way to success. The reality is the latest figures show that 98% of all startups fail. So what we want to do is talk to the 2% that succeed so we can give you some clues about mistakes you don't want to make along the way. We talk about things that hopefully can help us all become more successful. In these discussions, we try to find out what it is that these successful people do, what they do that less successful people don't do, and what makes them tick? What is it that drives them? What is it that gives them that edge? So then we can learn from the things that make them successful, and we can uh, learn how to address the challenges that we all face when we are building a business. My guest today is Kent Christensen, who's the CEO and founder of Messenger Bank which I believe is the first cryptocurrency that's backed by a bank. And I am speaking to Kent right across the world. I think he's in Norway, but we can talk about that in a second. And he's spent the last 15 years working with Club World Connect. He contributes with strategic planning and overview to cryptocurrency and banking industry. Kent has over 30 years' experience in finance and banking, which he uses to steer messenger bank 
Kent's always believed that blockchain technology is a potential to disrupt the world economy. Well, we know that. We've listened in the last few weeks. We've heard about some of the incredible things that blockchain is enabling to happen. And uh, it's it's really starting to escalate. When we started talking about uh, blockchain maybe five or six years ago, um, it was a fledgling somewhere in the distant future maybe technology. Now it is um, being adopted by banks and, and uh, stock, bro- stock exchanges and stockbrokers and real estate companies and charity organisations right across the world. So Kent wants to empower people to exchange value globally instantly and at the low, lowest possible cost and we all know that blockchain does exactly that. And uh, I think the other, the other point is it's transparent. That's one of the great things about um, blockchain is that it is totally transparent. And with this vision in mind, Kent's introducing a completely new blockchain banking experience. His team at Messenger come from a background of banking, finance and fintech. They're united in their passion to revolutionise the way people use money. And most of the Messenger team have lived or worked across many different countries, speak multiple languages and have a very successful track record working at top global companies. So that's the background to it. Hi, Kent. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. You are being heard right around the world. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me. Where are you? Um, I am actually in Spain. I am from Denmark, but I am located in Spain this week. Uh, And I'm going to Malta next week, which is like the hottest blockchain island in the world right now. I'm going to meet the the government and the national bank and everybody else. We want to set up head offices there. Right. One of the reasons why I succeed is really simple. I work hard. When That's you come to my office in the morning at five o'clock, there's light in the office. Right. When you are going out to dance at night or for dinner at 10 o'clock, there's light in the office. So that's one of the reasons that you succeed is being um, determined. And you know, it's not work because it's only work if you want to be somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. So if you, if, you, if you love what you do, it's not really that difficult. Um, we started Club World Connect, as you said in the beginning, many, many years ago, because we were in the construction business and finances, and all the immigrants had a hard time sending money home with Western Union. Sure. And I was like, I and felt sorry expen- for them. You know, and it's expensive. they spent like a hundred bucks. Yeah, they spent a hundred bucks. They spent like 10% of their salary to send money home to the people in Colombia, Venezuela, sure. Brazil, Russia, Cuba, wherever it was, China. So we started a very simple system uh, where you used your old Nokia mobile phone with an SMS system. You got a card, your mother got a card, your sister got a card, or your father, or whomever, or your wife. So that when you got your salary, we put that on your card and you send a text. Please put on my sister's card, my mom's card, my father's card, a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, pay my rent and keep the rest for me. 
Right. And that was an amazing success. It went from our corporation to the next corporation to the next corporation, and boom, we issued 12 million cards. People was using it in 63 countries. Everybody went crazy. And then a bank in America was told, maybe from, let's say, Western Union, but it's not important, one of the big remittance companies, yep. the bank was told, uh, go buy that. We don't need that. That's too simple. And they came to me and uh, we negotiated and uh, gave me a check on $863 million. Right. And I decided to not work for five years because that's what I signed. You know, these Americans, yeah. they have like yeah. 700 paid contracts. <laughs> and uh, in the meantime, in the meantime, I sold this in 2009. Right. And then in the meantime, crypto started to become, you know, more and more known and things like, and I started to get interested in blockchain. I mean, really, really interested. So I started to study. I had all the time in the world. You know, you cannot play golf from <laughs> six in the morning to 10 at night. So I started to study blockchain and uh, putting a team together. And when it was the time for me to start to work again, now we're talking 2015, I gave it an, another seven months just to be on the safe side because sure. these Americans can beat you with a lawsuit in five minutes. Yeah. And so then we started slowly to, we started slowly to build what we call messenger bank today. Why is it messenger bank? Because it, it's a messenger. We, we send coins from A to B. Right. We use the utility coin as, as an Uber taxi. Right. It's just it's just a method. So it's not swift, it's not uh, safer, it's not all these fancy things that the banks are using. We just send the coins from one wallet to another wallet, and then this wallet will exchange the coins for any fiat currency in their country, and they have the money. Right. They can do that with our, our debit card that we can issue to them, or we can add the money on their bank account. If they have put that info into the system, then we can just ship the money right to the bank account. That will take like two hours or four hours. Right. And it costs practically nothing. It costs like, we're talking, we're talking less than 0.01%. Right. That's great. So, yeah. It, yeah, it's good. So that's, uh, we are opening a big exchange later. We have some security issues and we don't want to have a lot of trouble like sure. you know, Binance and Coinbase and that. So, so we spend a little bit more time on our stuff. We try to make it uh, really solid. Right. And when we have the exchange up and running, then we will add a hundred cryptocurrencies so that people can use any cryptocurrency they want, not only our token. We are not, um, we are not afraid of the market. We are not afraid of competition. We want to help anybody. There's room for everybody. If we have to make bank accounts and cards for 2.3 billion unbankables, right. I would like another 10 or 20 or 30 companies to help me. Well, it's certainly a so space, no problem. It's certainly a space where there's getting a lot more competition in that uh, in the unbanked um, section of the market. Um, here we've got companies like Ulala who are um, uh, doing setting up bank accounts and, and wallets for um, the underbanked. 
And just in the United States alone, the Hispanic market, un, unbanked people, no no bank accounts, no credit cards, it's $2.3 trillion. I mean, it is a massive market. That's just in the US, forgetting the rest of the world. And uh, $2.3 trillion is a, a lot of hooch. Now, that is. You're the first crypto. Also, also Messenger Bank, we, we, are the, we are the first uh, real cryptocurrency blockchain uh, bank. And Messenger Bank's mission is to bridge the gap between digital and fiat currencies by providing a decentralized blockchain enabled mobile banking solution that is easy to use, accessible, non discriminatory. Uh, and unlike many blockchain services, Messenger Bank enabled to mass adoption of cryptocurrencies. And that's why we are not afraid of everybody is invited to come and work with us. I say that everywhere I speak around the world, I, the first thing I say, look, blockchain and cryptocurrencies, there is no experts. We are all in grade one. We are all in kindergarten. Yeah. And I said that last year in Dubai, and I said to them, come and play with me in the sandbox. Right. You know, because that's what it is. We, we all have to help one another. If yeah. we want to be successful, don't be protective with your own company. Go out, spread it out. Tell everybody what you do. Let them copy and paste you. No problem. Because the way to go to mass is that it comes from all directions at the same time. I agree. And, and it's such a massive market. You know, you, it, I know a lot of companies now that are paying international bills um, with crypto where, you know, a year ago or two years ago, they would have gone through all the bullshit that the banks make you go through to wire fiat. Uh, and now they just use crypto and it's um, it works out really well at the moment. For, of course, you can't trace it. So <laughs> that's a good start. Let me... Let me tell you a little story about that. The way I see the, the cryptocurrencies and the blockchain is like um, 3,000 years ago, they started the Silk Road. Remember that? I remember. On the Silk Road, on the Silk Road they invited in the end uh, Christians and uh, Muslims and Jewish and Asians and Buddhists. Everybody was trading on the Silk Road. Yep. And then you had the pirates. The pirates were there too. Yep. In cryptocurrencies, you have, but it's not a very big amount. It's not really a big percentage, but in reality, of course, do you think a drug dealer is stupid? Of course he will transfer his two million uh, dirty money or weapons deal or whatever. They will transfer or try to transfer that cross border and, and get the money away. Absolutely. Yeah. But with Messenger Bank, we do KYC, AML, I mean, we are bank, we have the experience, right? We also have right. the experience from when we had the Club World Connect. So there's no way that you can get through our filters. There's no way you can pretend to be a good guy and then be a bad guy. Because we can see it. There will be flag raised. And um, I know that blockchain is decentralized and we have to keep it that way. It's a non-trust system, which is really great. But if we see somebody that attempts that, we block their IP address, we take their email and their phone numbers, and in our database, it's put in as a blacklist, and anybody who accesses that database, let's say some 
government uh, departments, right. they can use it if they want. I mean, that's a, it's a free world, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. We're not like reporting any, we don't report anybody in principle, but uh, on the other hand, we don't protect anybody in principle. Right. So, I understand you're the first cryptocurrency that's backed by a bank. First of all, what does that mean in, re in reality, and how did it come about? Well, it came about because of um, Club World Connect, the way that we did the, the debit cards and the SMS and everything else. So, Messenger Bank, <clears throat> the coin itself, is not backed by anything except the ecosystem that is sure. created around it. Yep. So there is no difference between a Bitcoin, a Messenger Bank coin, an Ethereum coin, uh, a Ripple coin. A Ripple is a good competitor. We are just 20 times faster than any one of them. We are 20 times faster than Visa. We are 20 times faster than Ripple. And we are proud of that. We are right. really proud of that. But our coin as such is not backed by anything than the ecosystem. Right. In the ecosystem, anytime we sell some coins, we put 50% into the reserve bank to protect our coin. Well, that's because we think like bankers, right? We don't want our clients to cry. So we try to keep the coin as stable as possible at any given time because for us, it's not a matter of uh, get, getting volatility in the coin and the price, no. For us, it's a matter of having a very stable product that the user know next month I need a thousand coins, I have to do this, this and that, or I need 300 coins or whatever you need. So our purpose and why we are doing all this basically for free is that this is our way to get all our coins distributed. There's 10 billion of them. So we will create a market cap in two, three years from now on 250 billion. That's the business plan. So right. we will be extremely successful. Right. And everybody is happy. I guess that's not a bad deal. So the funds in that bank, because the market cap is so big and because we, we keep 50% uh, in the reserve bank and the rest is development and profits and whatever it is. Yeah. Because of that, the company will be very, very strong for the next generation or two. Uh, it's not a matter of me taking all that money out and putting it in my own private little bank somewhere. No, it, it's not about that. It's about helping. Let's say we can do 200 million of the 2.3 billion people without a bank account yep. and some other people around the world who wants to use our mobile payment system and anything else coming up. If we can have 200 million users and we can get a market cap on 250 billion, that's my mission. And when I, when I have that, if I got with the whole group behind me, if we got 10% of that money out, we are more than happy. The rest will be used for very generous projects around the world and to keep the coin very liquid right. because it's about liquidity on the exchanges. Yep. To survive in the crypto market, 2,700 coins or 2,500 coins and 98% of them is, um, I don't know what some of these other colleagues of mine are calling them, 
but in German it's a scheiße. And we don't want that. We want to have a liquid coin. We want to have not the highest traded coin in the world. Let Bitcoin take that role. No problem. Let Ethereum be the coin that can create all these little ECR20 coins and anything else. You know, everybody has their own business plan. The only thing we want is to help unbankable through blockchain, not so much through coins, through blockchain. Right. And through cards and bank accounts, real bank accounts. Because you need, you need to bridge the gap between digital and fiat currencies. That's the whole secret. Nobody in the crypto business really thought about it that way. We did, and we came a long way. We are the fastest today, and uh, we are not so known because we spend all our resources on building the thing, not um, going out in market. We never made an ICO. We never did any of all that. We just want to go out nice and quietly and start our business and help people. How long, how long do you think um, fiat currency is going to be um, the predominant way that we exchange money or in the world? Do you think do you think that fiat's here forever, or you, I'm one of those people that believe it's got a very short life from here, maybe maybe ten years. What do you think? No, I don't believe that. No, I believe <clears throat> that there's so many conservative people and I believe that the fiat currencies have a reason to stay here also. I think that we will coexist and I think in 20 years from now the fiat currency will be 30-40% and the cryptocurrencies will be 60% which is like digital payments or a little bit like if you look at the internet today where is people using their, their credit cards and debit cards Let's say that the way that you use debit cards and credit cards today online, contra, shops, physical, POS, right? Yep. So these numbers, these numbers will always more or less be the same. A little bit in the advantage of the cryptocurrencies, but um, uh, in the end of the day, I'm a banker and I, I see things in a very real perspective. I know a lot of my colleagues, they are like, really into crypto and everything is crypto and and they hate fiat and they come with all kind of explanations that a national bank they do it for their own benefit blah 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 but in reality it's not really like that it is a mission to bridge the gap between digital and fiat currencies i cannot say that too many times because it's a reality the reality is that we need real cash we need cryptocurrencies and we need real cash People, though, hate banks. I know it might not be worldwide, but I know in Australia, people hate banks. In America, people hate banks. And people object to taking, I take $100,000 down to my bank and they say, ah, we'll put it in the bank and we'll give you half a percent interest on it. So I go home and the next day I want to buy a car. So I go down to the bank and I say, hey, I want to borrow some of that hundred grand I just gave you, and they say, sure, we'll lend it back to you at 8%. Um, People are fed up with that, and because crypto's got such a small transaction cost, surely people are sooner or later going to say, fuck the banks. We're not going to deal with the banks. And, And the banks can't compete. Let's talk about lending. They can't compete with the 
fintech lenders. Just can't. Um, they can't compete with um, um, the costs that crypto can provide. So how are they going to survive when people hate them for a start and they're bloody expensive as hell for a second? I agree with you. hundred percent. You're hundred percent right. But um, think it in a little bit different way. The people you're talking about, they are all independent. They have their own job and everything is fine. hundred percent they will adopt to the cheap solution, the fast solution. They will adopt to, um, let's say in five years' time, I should change my, my messenger bank to just messenger. Yes, take the bank name out of it. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is all these guys, all the independents and all of these guys will do it exactly like you say. I cannot agree more. But governments... Government employees, unemployed, people on wealth, welfare, whatever you call it, pensions. It will take a long time to get these uh, big, colossal monsters to change their ideas. I was talking to a company, interviewed a company a few weeks ago, where they are working with governments to distribute um, entitlements, pensions and all that sort of stuff, and they're doing it through the blockchain and um, not through traditional banks, and that's already happening around the world. I, I think if you look back 20 years ago, people said, you know, the internet's all very good, but it's far too complicated for the average person. The average person will never use the internet. Well, guess what? 20 years later. Okay. I think that the mass adoption will take the next decade. I think that it's slow to get it all mass adopted, but when it gets there, then it will be fast. And I agree with you in 20 years time from now, the world will look very, very, very different. Yeah. Hard to say exactly how, but um, I guess that blockchain and uh, cryptocurrencies will be the dominant in the banking sector, finance sector, insurance sector, shipping, like containers oh. ship around the world, uh, Maersk, which is a big shipping company yep. in Denmark, yep. they have put all the insurances on, on blockchain. So. Yeah, yeah, it's, ha it, it's certainly happening. Now, your crypto comes with, a, well, your, the messenger bank comes with a debit card. Um, you just need that for day-to-day -day transactions when somebody... So you, you transfer the money from um, the sender's wallet to the receiver's wallet, which is connected to the debit card, so they can just use the card anywhere, right? Is that how it works? That's how it works. It's a club world connect That's on steroids. I mean, it's the, the same system, uh, very simple and very easy to use. And that's why we did it that way. We we want simple, sustainable solutions. So it's interesting. You've self-funded this whole project. Um, so why did you make the decision to do that and not raise outside, not do an ICO or whatever to raise outside funds? I um, thought about that uh, to raise an ICO, but then again. We are bankers, and uh, my my twelve best friends are attorneys, and they said this market is not regulated. Don't go out with an ICO. You think it's a utility coin? If you make an ICO, it's a security. Then yes. you can't sell it there. You can't do this. You can't do that. So I said, 
Well, I got a lot of money from my first company. Why can't I use a chunk of that to create the next one? Right. And well, don't yeah. go out and ask people for five bucks, right? <laughs> Would you, um, will you have enough money to sustain the growth, rapid growth of this worldwide? Um, if I don't have, let's say I, I burn $400 million the next two years, uh, I will at that point be so successful that <laughs> another couple of bankers wants to come in and join. Sure. I don't sure. think that's a. I don't think that the success will kill me. I yeah. think I'll manage that. I, I I'm a pretty good businessman, so I will find a way to sustain that too. But I guess I have enough money to to carry it through. Yeah, I guess the worst comes to worst, you just sell some of those Lamborghinis. I don't drive uh, Lamborghinis. Uh, I'm a very, I'm a really simple guy. I'm from Denmark. Uh, I like, uh, you know, fishing. Uh, I drive ordinary cars. Uh, I don't, um, I don't play the fancy lifestyle. I'm 50 years, 58 years old. I, my life is about family. It's about having a good time. It's about working hard. So the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis and all the young girls, that's for my son. He's 32. So let him play with that. And I'm, I'm playing with my spouse and uh, my Volvo. <laughs> it can't be more boring than that. <laughs> you, you started out in the construction industry. So how did you go from construction to banking? Were you in the financing side of construction or what is it that I was in I was in real construction, uh, but I realized quickly that the construction business is an optimist with a hard cap and rubber boots, yep. and he always need money. Yep. So I was looking at that, and I was thinking, okay, if I throw the boots away and the cap, and I just start to lend the money to do all these great ideas. I might make something too. And not only one project, I can do 100 projects a week Right. that way. So that's, that's the, I realized that very fast, that the construction is really hard work and you have to be incredibly successful and you can have all kind of uh, things going the wrong way. Right. Uh, so where does, where does Messenger Bank go from here? What's your ultimate vision for messenger bank our next step is that we open our exchange and after that we want to build a mobile payment app so that everybody who use messenger bank can also use it anywhere in the world where you can use mobile pay right. and I'm not going to build POS systems I'm not going to do all that I'm going to integrate it with uh, all the existing mobile payment platforms like sure. Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and uh, Danske Bank Pay and anybody who have a mobile payment system that we can integrate to yep. um, can be Union Pay in China. That way, we don't spend a lot of money on developing this and our clients have one app with mobile pay globally, which they wouldn't have if they only had Apple Pay or another uh, payment system. So that's our next big step after the exchanges up and running. 
And that will be sometime late 2019. Um, because I believe that, that Messenger Bank needs to have a debit card, a mobile payment platform, an exchange platform for all your cryptocurrencies because you build your own little portfolio in Messenger Bank. So if you like 10 cryptocurrencies, you have them yourself. You sell them, you trade them, you do atomic swaps inside the uh, uh, Messenger Bank exchange and that doesn't cost you anything. As long as you're in crypto, you can swap on my system with buy, sell orders yeah. for free as long as you want. We, we just want to help people so that they, it makes life easier for them. What's the biggest challenge that you've had getting Messenger Bank to where it is now? Security. Security issues on the blockchain, security issues on the exchange, security, security, security. Look at Binance and Coinbase and everybody yeah. else, Japanese exchanges. I mean, that's a nightmare. So for us, it's all about security. Again, we are banks, so we have to be careful. We don't want anybody to hack us and take our clients' money. So we have um, some really great inventions. Uh, one of the things is um, our wallet. When you sign in on Messenger Bank, you get a wallet, you get some coins, you get some Ethereum or whatever you want. You don't have the private key. We don't give that to you. We keep it in an offline server. That way, you can't get hacked. Your wallet is safe. And as long as you can host, remember your password and your login, not even your login, just your password and your email. Right. If you have your email, you don't lose anything. And uh, the problem with the apps where they have the private keys on their cell phone can cause problems in the end. Uh, we will have the uh, key private keys on the cell phones when our exchange is fully open and fully secure. But on, until that time, we keep the private keys for people. Yeah, that's good. Can Thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business. Now, if you'd like to know more about Kent and Messenger Bank, go to messengerbank.io. That's messengerbank.io. Have a look. I think it's a. I think it's a great initiative. Kent's obviously very smart. It's doing very well, and uh, so have a look. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on the Voice America Business Channel Network, and I'll be back with you after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show. We're coming at you on Voice America Business Network, broadcasting today from the entertainment and technology hub of the world, Los Angeles, California. It was a really interesting interview, wasn't he? I think he's a very smart guy, and uh, they seem to be playing it very steady and very smart, tying in with bank. Very good. 
So we'll keep an eye on Messenger Bank and see what happens in the near future. Now, I want to give you the top seven tips people should take into account when buying or trading cryptocurrency. And these are all things that we all know. However, 90 to 99% of people who know they should follow these rules still forget them over and over again. You've got to make them second nature. And the first one is don't be emotional. The best trader is a trader without any emotional. You know, they're not phased by a 200% increase or a 70% dip and just take profits or rebuy more. You know, I get people that um, uh, I know that are in crypto and the something will fall a bit and all of a sudden it's a panic. I've got to get rid of them. I want to get rid of them all today. You know, it's crazy. Second one is buy low and sell high. Now, this is pretty obvious, but the majority of crypto traders obviously do the opposite. You know, people bought a lot of Bitcoin when it was at $15 and then they sold them when it was at 10 And a lot of people even sold when it was 7000 and that forced it to crash even further. So, People are selling when they shouldn't be. Number three, don't make all or nothing buys. Don't sell all your crypto holdings of a particular coin or buy all the crypto holdings in a particular coin at a price that you consider to be an opportunity or to avert a perceived crash. An experienced trader only sells 10% of a crypto coin when they've made 50% gains, another 10% when they've made 100% gains, and always sell another 10% the higher it goes. What we do is when it goes up $100,000, we sell 10 grand's worth, and we just continue doing that. And uh, that way, we've uh, recouped our investment well and truly, and if there's a big collapse, or something dramatic happens, well, we're still looking pretty good. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't hold only one coin. You know, get the best five or ten coins you can find after researching them, and one of them will probably make you a hell of a big return. Number five, don't put all your coins in one wallet. Have your coins distributed through exchanges, online wallets, cold wallets, paper wallets, so that if one gets hacked or you lose it, you don't lose it all. Number six, do not invest more than you can afford to lose. I know people that went out and got big loans to uh, be able to buy more crypto. That is crazy. It's a vicious cycle. Instead, only put a maximum of 10% to 20% of your whole net worth into cryptocurrency. So if you're worth a million, put 100 grand in. If you're worth $10, put a dollar in. (laughs) Number seven, don't buy coins that are hyped that don't have any substantial improvement in their technology. For investors, it makes sense to develop hype against anti-hype. You know, it's... A good rule of thumb, if you think the coin's in a bubble, look at the fundamentals and ask yourself how much of the market cap is because of those fundamentals and how much is because it's brimming with speculation. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible 
than it is to do the ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be by being a little bit abnormal. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I will again be broadcasting from Los Angeles. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.